I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Hey everyone, welcome to Finding the Floor. This is episode 116, and today we're finishing up the last few chapters of Stephen M. R. Covey's book, The Speed of Trust. He had more specific, kind of three specific short chapters just highlighting a little bit deeper what smart trust is, and I thought that would be important to kind of have a separate podcast about And then there were other two things about like, what do you do to restore trust when it's been broken, either by someone else or by you, and then that you can actually build a propensity to trust. So I hope everyone had a lovely Thanksgiving. Um, I'm actually recording this before we head out so I can have this Thanksgiving off, but I am glad if you're listening when this comes out. I just feel grateful that... I have an audience that I can look forward to sharing some things with. And I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I, I really love this time of year where we really get to reflect on things that we're grateful for. And as many of you know, I've been kind of doing this gratitude journal now for almost, let's see, I guess it's been, yeah, two years almost, because I started it in July of 2020. So it's still going. I do it every morning and it's really been helping me. So I'm grateful for a lot of things, but I want to just say I'm grateful for you guys for tuning in. And it's funny, every Monday I look forward to my little report of how many people listened that week. And it's just my little like kind of dopamine hit for Monday I'm not really on social media a ton and I'm not like usually trying to track what people think, but I'm really grateful when I look and I'm like, whoa, I can't believe that these people are still listening to my podcast. So I appreciate it. So to get into the last kind of bit of this book, The Speed of Trust, and I really, it's just been so good to think about trust in this very um, workable way. Like it doesn't seem like it's like there's, you've broken trust with someone and how do you rebuild it? Well, he says that you establish those four cores again of integrity, intent, and capabilities and results. And then how do you get into those four things as you start by working on those 13 behaviors? Pick a handful of them. Pick one that you specifically need to work on. And I'll cover that a little bit more later. So really the idea is understanding that last behavior of extending trust because sometimes it's hard to know honestly who to trust nowadays. I feel like when I answer my phone, if I don't know the person, I usually don't answer the phone. I'm like, well, if they know me, they'll leave a message because I don't want to get on the phone with some And it may not even be a scammer, but you think with some scammer and they are calling all the time. And it's so frustrating 
So you sometimes with your own phone, you don't even want to answer it because you're so tired of like, well, how do I even know I can trust this person? And then with random emails, like lately, I've gotten a couple of social security emails that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is totally spam. And I feel bad for people who believe in them. But then sometimes it's hard to know when someone is reaching out and is truly trying to help you. I've had that with people regarding my podcast, like, hey, do you want to do this? Or I have this network. Do you want to join? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to join. I don't even know who you are. How did you find my name? And this idea of smart trust kind of helps us feel a little less suspicious about people in general. Because it just does feel like sometimes there's all these people just trying to scam you. You're like, wow. But he said that part of just living life and part of deciding to trust is there is a little bit of risk. So sometimes, like, I'll buy something online with a new website and I'll be like, well, let's just see about that if I get that back. And if I don't, maybe I can just call my credit card company. We have this specific tea that I really like that my mom got me addicted to. It's a Sunrider herbal tea and it has been available on Amazon but then it wasn't so I was like looking for a Sunrider provider and found some website and I was like well they look legit. I actually called to make sure like the number works so I did a little bit of background check before I put in the order so I feel like That's a little bit of what he is calling smart trust. But he says, we go through life and we do have to like just be willing to risk. Sometimes it'll pay off and sometimes it won't. And just be okay with realizing that that's part of life. He says, as noted historian and law professor Stephen Carter has observed, civility has two parts, generosity when it is costly and trust even when there is risk. So the objective, he says, is not to avoid risk, but to manage risk wisely, to extend trust in a way that will avoid the taxes and create the greatest dividends over time. Okay, I talked about this a little bit last podcast about in the extend trust, but what it involves, so it has two factors of extending trust. You have to have a propensity to trust And then you have this analysis. So he says, propensity to trust is primarily a matter of the heart. It's the tendency, the inclination or predisposition to believe that people are worthy of trust and a desire to extend it to them freely. So then he says, kind of the degree in which you have that can be affected by either your inherent personality the way important people in your life have or have not like trusted you or been able to be trusted to your own experiences, both good and bad in trusting others and kind of like obviously a combination of all those factors, your personality, your experience and the way important people have behaved in your life. Okay, so that's the first part, propensity to trust. And the second part of smart trust is the analysis. And that is primarily a matter of the mind. 
It's the ability to analyze, evaluate, theorize, consider implications and possibilities, and come up with logical decisions and solutions. So again, he says, the degree to which you have a strong analysis may be due to a variety of or combinations of factors, including your natural gifts or abilities, your education, the way you think, your style, and your life experience. And I agree that sometimes there's people who are way more just analytic in general. My husband tends to be like that, and I kind of tend to be more feeling. And I think that that's why I will come to him and he'll help me think through things in a very logical way. And then I kind of think about my feelings and then I work those two together. And that is basically what he's saying smart trust is, okay? So kind of like his dad when he had four quadrants when he was talking about habit three is your planning, you know, living in quadrant two right now. Gosh, I can't think. It'll come to me. But he has the same thing, but this is now what you have are quadrants of you have trust on one kind of access and then you have analysis on the other, okay? So there you've got four quadrants or zones as he calls them, I guess I should say. They're zones. So zone one, you have a high propensity to trust but low analysis, So what he calls this is blind trust or gullibility. And that sometimes is when we get so frustrated when we think, you know, someone has a great deal and then we totally go for it and then get burned. Like I remember I was in the market for some paddle boards. We had just come back from a vacation and used some paddle boards and I was so excited to be able to buy some and use them down at the lake. And at Lake Erie, because we're right near the lake. And I was just like, okay. And I was looking and they were all like over $400. And then I was like searching again. And there was a site that was only $99. And I was like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Is this even real? And I didn't really check into the site very well. And then it was kind of weird because you could only buy one at a time. And I was like, that's kind of weird. But I just kept going because I was like so excited we never saw those paddle boards. And yeah, so I definitely learned my lesson. So now, like for instance, I told you about that herbal supplement tea that I really like. I'm now learning to do a little more due diligence, especially online for like an unfamiliar website. So that is zone one when you have a high propensity to trust and a low analysis, okay? Again, a high propensity to trust is what you want to have. So don't think that it's bad to want to trust and have that. I think that's really good. But what he's saying is going into zone two, kind of that is the best zone. He says it's high propensity to trust and high analysis. It is the smart trust zone of judgment. So this is where you combine the propensity to trust with the analysis to manage risk wisely. This is where you get both good business judgment and good people judgment, including enhanced instinct and if intuition. Okay, so this is what I thought was kind of interesting. He says, if you have a propensity to not trust, instinct and intuition will disproportionately tell you to not extend trust 
to others. On the other hand, without analysis, you might well mistake a propensity to trust along for instinct and intuition. So he's saying, thus, a significant dimension of combining high analysis with high propensity to trust is the synergy that evaluates instinct and intuition to the realm of good judgment. That is really kind of cool because he's saying sometimes when we don't want to trust people, we then kind of are jaded in that way to not trust anybody and we could be missing out on either good opportunities or friendships or whatever. But he's saying when you combine the high analysis with the smart trust that actually can synergize and elevate your ability to like work your instinct and intuition into the realm of good judgment. Who knew? That's just so cool. I just thought that was just a really cool thing. Okay. Zone three, what he calls is a low propensity to trust and low analysis. This is what he calls the no trust zone of indecision. People here tend to not trust anyone. Because their own analysis is low, they tend not to even trust themselves. This zone is characterized in indecision, insecurity, protectiveness, apprehension, tentativeness, and immobilization. Sounds like not really a great zone to be in, but I think sometimes when we get burned, let's say we're, we start out, let's say in zone one with a high propensity to trust, and then we see something happen and we're like, oh, I'm never going to do that again. Then we get into zone three and if we don't realize that there's an option like I can trust people but I can also use analysis I love this okay then zone four is a low propensity to trust and high analysis and what he says this is the distrust zone of suspicion this is where you find people who extended trust very cautiously or not at all in fact some are so suspicious they do not trust anyone but themselves People in this zone tend to rely almost exclusively on analysis, usually their own for evaluation, decision-making, and execution. And what I found interesting is I was, he was going on and telling more about zone four is, he, is that he said, zone four is actually the highest risk zone of all. Um, there's a high cost and you cut off any collaboration and synergy And you're relying mostly on your own judgment, which may be skewed or limited. And you cut off the access to valuable thoughts and ideas and wisdom and perspective of others. Um, So what he says, I found interesting this next little part. The risk of being in zone four, particularly as a leader, and remember we as parents or leaders, is extremely high. It's the risk of having limited perspective, lack of collaboration, alienation of talent, and lost opportunity. It's the risk of paying high taxes and forfeiting dividends. So yeah, he's saying if you live in zone four where you have low trust but high analysis, that actually is not the best place to be. And what he said is actually the lowest risk and highest return is Again, back to zone two, where you have high trust and high analysis. So you have a high propensity to trust and high analysis. He says, not only do you have the personal analysis to carefully evaluate and consider the issues, you also have the propensity to trust 
that releases, encourage, and generates synergy with the creativity and judgment of others. And this is kind of cool, he says. In other words, zone two is literally effervescent. High analysis and high propensity to trust not only create strong judgment, they create a dynamic synergy that produces ongoing, endless possibility. Wow. Okay. So he says, here are a few questions to ask. What is the opportunity, the situation, or job to be done? Number two, what is the risk involved? What are the possible outcomes? What is the likelihood of outcomes? What is the importance and visibility of the outcomes? And then number three, what is the credibility, character, and competence of the people involved? So kind of as you're thinking about smart trust and going into these situations, I think this is a really good way to think about it. So he also has a reminder when we're talking about extending trust. The general guideline is to extend trust conditionally to those who are earning it and abundantly to those who have done so. Keep in mind that even when you extend trust abundantly, there should still always be accountability because that is a principle that actually enhances trust. I kind of want to say that again. Keep in mind that even when you extend trust abundantly, there should still always be accountability because that is a principle that actually enhances trust. Okay, and then he goes on to say, like, as a parent, you're always dealing with issues of extending trust to your children. And sometimes that can be a real roller coaster, especially as they are going through the maturing process. So he says, I found it especially helpful as a parent to make a conscious effort to stay in zone two, to have a high propensity to trust, but also do the analysis so that you extend trust in a way that encourages and helps a child take trust seriously and grow in the ability to handle a stewardship responsibly. So one thing he also says is like, while delegation is intellectual, so being giving people responsibility, he says entrusting is a visceral or it's something you feel and that you need to like be willing to grow that propensity to trust so that you can become a better leader. He says, when people don't learn to extend trust, they don't become leaders in the full sense of the word, either at work or at home. And he said this before, but I'm going to repeat it. He says, the number one job of any leader is to inspire trust. It's to release the creativity and capacity of individuals to give their best and to create a high trust environment in which they can effectively work with others. And this is true both at work and at home. All right, smart trust. If you understand that, that's when you have a high propensity to trust and a high analysis. Okay, and remember those questions. And I'll even have those on my website listed. Okay, so then he goes into like, what do you do about broken trust? Um, either it's broken by you or it's broken by somebody else. Okay, so he starts with if you have broken trust with someone, he says in all cases, the four cores and the 13 behaviors provide powerful restoration tools. So he just says, really lean on working on those tools, of those behaviors and working on your four cores. And those behaviors will help you work on those four cores and getting into the sweet spot of each of them. 
But he has a reminder. Keep in mind that when you talk about restoring trust, you're talking about changing someone else's feeling about you and confidence in you. And that's not something that you can control. Even if you're unable to restore trust in a particular situation or relationship, by strengthening your cores and making habits of the behaviors, you will increase your ability to establish or restore trust in other situations and relationships throughout your life. Another thing he also points out, keep in mind that we're not talking here about fixing someone else. You can't do that. But you can give to others someone who is credible and worthy of trust and behaves in a way that inspires trust. And experience shows that this kind of example over time will do more than anything else you could to restore trust. And he is saying that many times when you have a broken trust situation, that if you really take it seriously, that it is an opportunity for growth. He says, the difficult things we go through with the important people in our lives can become fertile ground for growth and enduring trust. Trust that is actually stronger because it's been tested and proved through challenge. So sometimes if you're willing and if someone else is willing to like help reestablish trust, that you can become stronger for it. All right. Now, what happens if someone has lost, like others have lost your trust? And he has two things. He says, don't be too quick to judge. Sometimes we may think we know why they did the thing or we have these all the assumptions and judgments on what they've done. And he says, sometimes it's better just to leave all that behind because you just don't know. And sometimes it makes it worse if you're really quick to judge. The next thing he says is do be quick to forgive. And I loved this way his way of describing forgiveness, because I think this is so true. He says, what I'm talking about with forgiveness is our ability to cleanse ourselves of feelings of anger, vindictiveness, blaming, accusing, or retribution toward anyone who has caused us offense, either intentionally or accidentally. I'm talking about refusing to take on the role of someone else's judge and jury and about letting go of things that are out of our control, including other people's attitudes and behaviors and things that have happened over the past. He goes on, I'm talking about freeing ourselves physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally from dependent responses to the mistakes, weaknesses, and bad choices of others. And then he says, which is very interesting, in fact, until we forgive, We're really not free to exercise smart trust. We carry around emotional baggage that jades both our analysis and propensity to trust. I think that's true. I think if you're really upset and have a hard time with somebody, then I think your, obviously your propensity to trust goes down. I think you're living in either zone three or zone four. Both of those. Either you're, you're, low your trust your trusting goes down and then you're either analyzing everything to death which makes it even harder too okay another gem i really thought was important keep in mind that what that we garner strength to forgive those who have wronged us not by what they do but by what we 
do. Okay? I just think that is so important because I think sometimes we look at forgiveness and we think that they have to prove themselves in some way. And he's saying that keep in mind that we garner strength to forgive those who have wronged us, not by what they do, but by what we do. And then he goes on, and we don't forgive to abdicate the offender. And he says, as Nelson Mandela modeled, we forgive to bring clarity and peace to ourselves. And he obviously shared like Nelson Mandela, who was in prison for over 30 years in when South Africa was in apartheid. When he got out and was able to unite the country, it was because he did forgive. I love this, to bring clarity and peace to ourselves. So he goes on to say that broken trust can really be a beginning. It's an opportunity to get our own act together. So if you've broken trust with somebody, you really have your opportunity, he says, to get your own act together, to improve our character and confidence, and to behave in ways that inspire trust. And then he says, if someone has broken trust with you, it's an opportunity for you to grow in your ability to forgive and to learn how to extend smart trust and to maximize whatever dividends are possible in the relationship. Okay, I know I have like so many quotes from this book, <laughs> but I just thought this really section was really important. He says, so in either situation, either someone has broken trust with you or you've broken trust he says, broken trust presents an opportunity for you to make huge leaps in building up your own self-trust and person's credibility. As you go through the process of trying to restore trust you have lost with others or forgiving and extending smart trust to those who have broken trust with you, you will gain confidence in your own discernment and ability to establish, grow, restore, and extend trust on every level of your life. Wow, that sounds like really great so sometimes I think when we have situations with family members or at work it can feel hopeless or it can feel like oh I just don't know if I can ever like be around them or trust them ever again and I think it's there there have been a handful of situations in my life where I did have to start with forgiveness and now I see that as I learn more about this whole smart trust thing that I can develop and begin to trust them more as I also do my own analysis. So he had this story in the book from like this business of these two partners that went to into business together and they, and they were good friends as well. And then so one was a chairman and one was a president. The president then goes behind the chairman's back starts getting people together to have sort of like a coup in business terms to overthrow the chairman because they don't like some of his ideas and he ends up like getting kicked out of this business that he started. And it was really hurtful because these two men were good friends. So then Stephen Covey then says they ended up afterwards the president felt really bad about what he had did asked for forgiveness, and they ended up working personally on building up their friendship and trust with each other again. So then this friend, so again, if we call them the chairman and the president, the president was the one that had the coup and the chairman got kicked out. 
So then the president comes to the chairman again and asks if he wants to go into business with him for another type of thing. And it was interesting. The response he said was, I will work on a committee with you. I will do volunteer work with you. I will work in a church calling with you. But I am not going to go into business with you again. I don't harbor any feelings, but I that is where I've drawn the line and I've learned my lesson. So that is where he decided he's just going to not, that was too risky for him again. Even when they had worked to reestablish their relationship, he did draw the line there. So he says sometimes there are lines that need to be drawn. And with this particular the president, he had shown himself that he wasn't trustful in that regard. That thing, if he, if things didn't go his way, you know, maybe that would happen again. And he just did, wasn't willing to risk that. So then the very end just talks about that you really can build your propensity to trust. And basically, you know, he asks like, how many of you are grateful for somebody who trusted you even though they didn't really know you or you had no reason to be trusted. But then you really flourished in a certain situation, whether it be like a first job or taking leadership in some sort of situation. I was thinking back to like when my dad had me run his campaign. Like I didn't know what I was doing, but he was willing to just have me work with him. Then he's like, oh, I'm going to be out of town. So I'm just going to have you give a speech. And he trusted me enough to represent him. And just kind of those small examples of someone being willing to trust you, he was saying that that is really helpful and that we can solely build that. And he talks about, I mentioned it last time about his experience with the flag football team, the like little league football team and the girl that was on his team, Anna, and what a difference that made in her her life. And in the book, he kind of goes on an analysis of what he was thinking in that situation. And there were a lot of things going through his mind, like technically, he had given her enough time to play. So he wouldn't been in fault of pulling her out. And, you know, he had all these things that could have like been good either way. But he was just so grateful that he chose to just extend that trust even more and it made such a difference and he said I, and I would have been glad either way if we had won or lost but it made such a difference in her life and how that really can help and he talks about this reciprocalness like trust is reciprocal he says in other words the more you trust others the more you yourself are trusted in return so he mentions other people like from history that like Anne Sullivan extending trust to Helen Keller and what an amazing story that was and how Helen Keller became this amazing individual. He tells a story of Alexander Great and who like it was like King Darius III had a bribe out to poison Alexander the Great. So any physician that would work. And so all these physicians were scared to help Alexander the Great when he got sick at this time. And there was one physician who was willing to help Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great trusted him. And in the story, he says, just as this physician was about to give Alexander the Great like a concoction to help whatever he had, um, he had just received a note saying there's a bribe out for people to poison you. Be careful with who you trust. 
and he hands it to the physician and drinks the drink, showing that he totally trusted him and he ended up being cured. It's just really interesting how you can grow your propensity to trust and using that same thing like, I'm going to be willing to trust, but I also have the reduction of risk if I continue to also use my analysis. So he just says, when you think about your kids, are you extending trust in that way? And he says, you know, his most profound moment in his life is when he was seven years old and his dad extended him that trust to keep the yard clean and green and what an impact that had on his life. So I'll finish with this last quote. Extending trust to others rekindles the inner spirit, both theirs and ours. It touches and enlightens the innate propensity we all have to trust and to be trusted. It brings happiness to relationships, results to work, and confidence to lives. Above all, it produces an extraordinary dividend in every dimension of our lives. The speed of trust. Okay, you guys, I thought this was so helpful. And just to remember that we can grow and be better and like we can even grow our instinct and intuition as we learn to grow our propensity to trust and also have high analysis. Very, very cool. All right, smart trust. Remember what that means as you're learning to extend trust to others and how that looks. Okay, you guys have an awesome weekend if you're heading into the weekend and we're getting into the holiday season. So this will be so fun. All right. Thanks for joining me and I will talk to you next week. Okay, bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, come by findingthefloor.com where I will have show notes and links for anything I've mentioned today. Special thanks to Seth Johnson for creating and performing the theme music. Come back next week and thanks for listening. 